Welcome to the Radio 191 FM podcast. It's history time. Come on, tell your friends. We'll visit New Zealand's ancient lands with Jamie the host and Dr. Valetta Gillibert the historian. Our fun will never end because it's history time. All right, it's a Thursday um, and you know what that means. You haven't known for a while, but now you know again. It's time for history time. I'm joined by Dr. Violetta Gillibert. Morena to you. Maria, Jamie. Thanks for having me. Uh, you're more than welcome. Thank you so much for being on the show this morning. Right. As we do, we like to look into New Zealand's past, its characters, its, you know, its heritage, its cultures. Um, and a lot of the times when we look at individuals um, that have done brilliant things, there tends to be some things that aren't so brilliant about them. And today's subject, um, you know, is exactly that. Um, we're looking at health reformer, childcare innovator, knight of the realm, uh, a New Zealander held in high esteem, Truby King. That would be correct, Jamie. Yes. And what an introduction too. like truly a fitting one uh, for old Truby, Frederick Truby King, if we want to get serious. Yeah. Um, an extremely illustrious and influential figure. Um, born into, in the late 19th century, but kind of came into light, into fame in the early 20th for, yeah, our baby care of all things. But mm. there were a few bits and pieces, like in his background, you know, he was very well positioned to to do well, to do great and magnificent things. Um, he was the son of some original New Plymouth settlers, uh, bankers, traders, members of parliament. That was kind of the family that he was born into. And of course, he went off to Edinburgh to study medicine, with the financial support of his family. So um, he was, uh, yeah, just destined for great things, you might say, uh, in the late 19th century. And um, he uh, took an interest in the insane of all things. He wanted to do something to help people with uh, mental illnesses and psychological problems. So that was um, one of his early uh, kind of endeavours. Yeah, started off going to Edinburgh, I believe, um, and then on to Paris, but um, Mm. to be a surgeon originally. But then yes. um, fell in love with hysteria after hearing a, a particular lecture. Mm, yes, absolutely. And if we, you know, uh, hysteria was demonstrated uh, at the at this time um, rather than verbally describing uh, what an uh, quote unquote insane person looked like, they would often um, drag some poor woman into an amphitheater and uh, allow the medical students to watch her wailing or whatnot, you know, extremely distressing for the contemporary viewer to hear um, back in the day, it was just standard medical practice. Uh, but he was very affected um, by such demonstrations, um, his postgraduate studies and hysteria, and uh, took it all back to New Zealand. He wanted to shake things up, make some changes and um, treat some people, help them to get well. So uh, yeah, that's what he took on at Seacliff Lunatic Asylum in Dunedin of all places. Yes, yes. In 1889, he beat out some mm-hmm. very stiff competition to become the superintendent of Seacliff mm-hmm. Lunatic Asylum. Um, and the thing is, he did some pretty amazing work there. <clears throat> he sure did, yeah. Um, Seacliff was among the best institutions in the country, but by his standards, it was a shoddily run farm asylum. Um, so when he entered the picture, so he took his challenge on of improving the operations and, um, he had what 
would definitely have been called uh, then a very humanitarian approach to um, treatment of the insane. Um, we would definitely find fault with it today, but uh, let's leave that anyway. Um, he planted the grounds out beautifully. He um, discouraged the use of restraint, restraint and um, medicalisate like you know drugs and whatnot um he sought to try and uh, give the people who lived in the asylum um permanently or for a time uh kind of productive and stable uh experiences there mm -hmm. you know, like you know planting getting exercise fresh air working with animals um and also good diets good nutrition he was very very interested in uh the link between nutrition and mental illness or mental disturbance and that was incidentally um what brought him into his concern with infant care and with mothers yes yes uh, he was also working at the university of otago and he i think you mentioned there some things at the asylum brought him into working with mothers but he also went for a trip to japan and that kind of stirred things up too right Oh, yes, yes. No, uh, give us some details, Jamie. I'm rather underread on Truby's Japanese experiences. Uh, I don't know too much about them either. Uh, <laughs> um, he, he went over there and he studied um, Japanese mother's breastfeeding. Ah, uh, yes, absolutely, yes. Um, well, that breastfeeding was um, extremely important to the Plunkett Society and to Truby. He actually... Uh, where there wasn't a possibility for breastfeeding, he believed in it so strongly that um, in New Zealand, again, he developed um, some kind of a, a more nutritious substitute for breast milk. And at the time, um, you know, he, he saw some pretty impressive customs in Japan. But uh, in the early 20th century, late 19th century in New Zealand, um, maternal care could be lacking at certain points. A lot of um, women were new migrants, um, didn't necessarily have family around them. And so if breastfeeding wasn't possible, they might mix some oats together with some water or crumble some biscuits into some water. Um, so he wanted to kind of um, shift these practices, which were improvised and not necessarily good for the baby, into um, more controlled kind of ways which he did yeah yeah and then he, he he founded the Plunkett Society which was um world world leading innovative um incredible um oh yeah and and he had some wonderful ideas around child um rearing but he had some mm -hmm. absolute terrible ideas on who should be doing that <laughs> well yes um he was a big fan of professionalization and uh, even when the mother was taking care of her own baby, it needed to be by extremely exacting standards that didn't necessarily follow the maternal instinct. Um, controlled crying was one of those, you know, ignore your baby when it cries because you can only, if you um, attend to your baby, it's going to develop an undisciplined personality in adulthood for example, or like inducing bowel movements, um, very restricted uh, kind of feeding schedules. Um, so even where there wasn't a Plunkett nurse or um, a medical professional there, um, the methods of the profession penetrated into some very intimate and uh, practices of mothering. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and there was also, uh, he had strong beliefs and um, there were certain people within society that shouldn't reproduce at all. Absolutely. Yes. Um, this is, you know, the more unsavory aspect of Truby King's history. Um, on one hand, we have baby care and nutritional uh, kind of improvements, innovations. Um, and on the other, we have eugenics. Why is it always eugenics? Why? Why? 
Is he rat? Why? Oh, gosh. Well, I mean, we have that duality again of um, somebody whose work on the one hand produced like some really great outcomes for people, um, for families, and were very progressive in certain respects, but in others were absolutely terrifying. <laughs> and so, yeah, uh, Truby King definitely uh, agreed with the, the view of the day uh, in eugenic circles that um, the fertility of the unfit was a danger to the race, to society, and to public health. So he believed that uh, folks affected by um, disabilities, um, by addiction, um, or by uh, any kind of defect that um, was kind of ranked in the medical profession, that um, they should be prevented from reproducing, that they were a danger to um, things. It's, it's so hard to imagine now, but um, he played a very prominent role in creating that system of uh, asylums and institutions that would confine ment the mentally disabled and um, the chronically ill sometimes uh, up until the 1990s. He was, his ideas and his influence were um, kind of instrumental in getting these ideas off that uh, folks who of different abilities of different capacities needed to be segregated from the rest of society for their own good but by and large for uh for the social good and we hate that we hate to hear that you know <laughs> we do we do i um w one of an early one of the early phrases uh, from the plunkett society and in, in, in some early writings was the race marches forward on the feet of little children um, yes. which is shockingly, and that is 100% meant the white European race. Yeah, able-bodied, certainly, as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so the, the outcome of that, obviously, was for, for the um, groups, um, the classes of human being that um, these ideologies perceived to be valuable um, or normal, ideal, were really lifted up, were given... Um, you know, some really good uh, support systems, a lot of resources, a lot of um, thought was spent on improving their well-being, um, physically, mentally, socially. And in the case of those deemed unfit or a threat, um, the, the, the exact opposite was done. Yes, yes. Um, one of the things I found quite ironic was um, that um, some of the... Uh, one of the groups of people that he saw fit to say that couldn't raise children were people that were tubercular or had tuberculosis, um, either in their past or I would guess at the time. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, he himself was um, tubercular. Yes, yes. And I suppose, um, to his credit, he never had children. Um, so at least he's, you know, uh, to some extent putting his money where his mouth is. Uh, but yeah, it's kind of a testament to how arbitrary these standards could be as medical knowledge changed and improved. Um, certain conditions uh, came into favour and fell out of favour, um, you know, along with folks with tuberculosis, uh, those who consumed alcohol to excess were also considered unfit to reproduce. So in the absence of kind of concrete knowledge about um, genetics, you know, we hadn't mapped or really kind of gotten into such depth with knowledge about how traits can be uh, inherited or transmitted. Uh, they moralized and uh, took an educated guess. <laughs> yeah. There you go. And uh, yeah. The fact that, that he had a very long-lasting legacy in his ideas. 
Oh, well, absolutely. Uh, the fact that people still have Plunkett books in their possession now that Plunkett is still out and about um, helping women, I mean, and babies, like certainly um, their support services uh, can't be kind of looked upon with suspicion just because Truby King was a um, rampant ableist and, you know, um, but the legacy of um, providing support for mothers and having an institutional form for doing that, um, disseminating knowledge and uh, kind of checking in with mother and baby for the collective good that certainly has carried on. And we love that the kind of racial and um, ableistic qualifications have been dropped too, yeah. but that was certainly a great part of his work in his lifetime. Yeah. Uh, but those things weren't dropped for a very long time afterwards. Either. Oh, yeah. oh. <laughs> no. And um, the, you know, the slow rollout of these services to, um, to Maori communities and, um, and whānau uh, back when things were first getting off the ground was a perfect example of that too. Um mm. So, yeah, there's there's been a, a lot of uh, legacies, good and bad, from Truby King. He was, uh, yeah, a state funeral. Um, though, unfortunately, you know, uh, a lot fell, was swept under the carpet as well. A lot of the, um, his work, his inspiration and um, his kind of bookkeeping and management was done by his wife, who did not get knighted, naturally, and did not no. get a state funeral. Um, as it was back in the day, like, she was his uh, kind of... PA um, professional assistant as well as his homemaker and his caregiver um, while he got on with doing the work of nations. So uh, that's another another familiar ring. Unfortunately, Etty Route didn't have the benefit of a um, of a wife to support her work. So you know, she Truby had a, a bit of a an advantage there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, his wife was hugely influential in Plunkett as well. Um, mm-hmm. And she was, you know, as I've said, that she was equally responsible for almost all of his work. Um, yes. She also wrote um, an influ- influential newspaper column. Yes, Our Babies. Yes. <laughs> yes. But she received no honours. And even to this day, um, you'll be hard-pressed to find anything written specifically about her. Yes, and we really need a study of the wives of famous New Zealand men because um, they, you know, they're, what's what's that saying? I won't even repeat it on radio. <laughs> Behind every great man, yes, uh, ellipses. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and there's there are other kind of interesting uh, gendered elements to the story of Truby King and the Plunkett Society too. Um, as you can imagine, back in the 19th century, um, the medical profession, which at the time was the sole provider of like baby care advice and um, kind of maternal health, um, was um, by and large male and uh, very kind of clicky. They didn't like new ideas, new practices and systems being kind of foisted upon um the people that they saw as being their patients. Um, so Truby King circumvented this in a very clever way, which was to approach um, the wives of uh, wealthy elite um, men and kind of encourage them to philanthropically get involved with um, spreading the Plunkett word. And so they were the kind of the ground troops who created branches, gathered women together and set up um, Karatane hospitals and Plunkett branches all over the country. So it was um, quite a, quite a, you know, female led and female centric um, turn to infant care away from the medical profession too. <laughs> it was feminist in some ways, but not in others, because at the end of the day, it was still Truby King telling mothers what was right for them and their babies. Yeah, exactly. Or if they could have babies at all. 
Oh yes, yeah, we we shan't we shan't forget that. Yeah. So another, another um, Kiwi hero, uh, innovator, sexist, racist, eugenics man. That's long and short of it, I'm afraid. Good to know these things. We can always uh, we can often do with having a more nuanced view of the national heroes. Yeah, that's right. That's right. God, what are we going to find out about Ed Hillary? Hopefully nothing. Um, <laughs> all right. And, of course, Truby King is still celebrated today. Um, not that long ago, there was an exhibition about him here at the University of Otago. Of course, there are a lot of things named after Truby King. There's a Truby King Drive here in Otipote. Um, There is a gardens in the capital. Uh, there are other streets named after Truby King. There are even um, baby centres in Australia, named after Truby King, and of course, long-lasting legacy with Plunkett uh, will probably never go away. Uh, and Plunkett is, is yet to distance themselves from um, or apologise uh, for some of uh, the earlier works either. Uh, and hopefully that is something that takes place uh, and maybe the country can have a look at. Um, once again, as we have looked at in recent times, um, uh, around uh, the naming of, of, of certain areas after the colonial New Zealanders. Uh, maybe this is a, a Kiwi that was uh, born and bred here uh, that we can look at um, things that are named after him uh, uh, and maybe change those. Uh, as it's a bit problematic. It would be great to see some discussion around that. And, um, yeah, if anybody uh, kind of feels like, well, just, you know, he, he helped the babies, read some of his writings. Like, they are just... A, incredible um yeah yeah he 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 did a lot of good but he also had a lot of extremely cooked ideas that it's very worthwhile kind of having having a look at that contrast because yeah as you say jamie like there are uh, a lot of these kind of uh, dualities to the figures that we hold near and dear to our hearts as new zealanders and um we could always do with yeah a more nuanced view of those indeed indeed well we'll leave it there thank you so much for joining us this morning Thanks for having me, Jamie. It's been great. It's been wonderful. Um, it's good to have you back on air, and we will talk again next week. Kia Cheers. This was a Radio 191 FM podcast. All of our content lives online at r1.co.nz.